Hey, good morning. You know, it's the time of year we get together with a lot of people. Maybe you'll have an office party or you have family get-togethers. I have a curiosity uh, to start today's talk, and I wonder when you're with a group of people, uh, do you ever feel, I mean, you don't have to respond to me visually or audibly or anything, but do you ever feel a sense that you don't measure up? Or do you ever feel like a forgotten person? Um, you can be in a room and you can look at other people and they all seem to have status or they all seem to have accomplishments and you look at and say, well, he's a this or she's a this. Um, I would have liked to have been this, but it didn't work out. Uh, if I had to do over again, I would be this, but I'm out of time. I can't, I don't have the time to, to, be, to accomplish that. I just wonder if you ever feel like you don't measure up because I think that as human beings, we tend to have two emotions within us. And one of those, I think, is a God-given gift, and the other is, I think, part of our fallen nature. And the one that's a God-given gift is I think that each of us craves significance. Each of us craves to make a difference in life. And we, we, we want that desperately, but there's part of our fallen nature that seems to whisper that we don't measure up. And we have that tension inside of us oftentimes wishing on one hand to have significance and yet hearing a message within us that says that we don't measure up. And, and when that message comes to us, if we believe it too much, we can do a couple of wrong things. Number one, we can be led to despair, feeling that we're never going to have any purpose or real mission in life. Or we can, we can make it our life's goal to impress people, to make people believe that we have a reason for being here. And if we do that, we tend to either always step in it, trying to make people feel like we measure up, or we can begin to hate ourselves for what we do in that quest to convince people that we really matter. Well, let me ask you a question today. Do you have a purpose? Because our series is gifts, and one of the gifts that God wants to give you is a gift of purpose. He wants to give you the gift of your life mattering. And we're going to talk about that today. Do you, do you have a purpose? Well, speaking of people that don't seem to have any purpose, I, I want to ask you, have you ever considered in the crash or the nativity scene, have you ever considered Joseph? Because honestly, if you look at everybody there, they all seem to have a reason or a purpose except Joseph. All right, so there's the baby in the manger, that's Jesus. He is the, the Messiah, the Savior. There's Mary, she's just given birth. The angels are singing. The shepherds have come to talk about the angels singing. The wise men are bringing gifts. The cattle are lowing, whatever that is. And over in the corner is a little boy playing a drum solo. But then there's Joseph. And what is he there for? I mean, we all know he's not the biological father of Jesus. He almost seems to be an unnecessary appendage. And yet, what I want you to think about is that Joseph is, even though he might be unimportant to the world, he is vitally important to God. You know, when you look at Joseph from the earthly perspective, from how the other people in Nazareth looked at him, you're probably looking at a guy that most people didn't even know his name. Now, they just knew he was the carpenter. He was the guy that you took stuff to when it broke. And in the world's way of looking at things, he was not all that important. He never wore an Armani suit. He didn't wear monogram shirts. He was not a salaried man. Um, Joseph did not have a parking space with his name on it. Whenever I see him, I always imagine him in denim and 
flannel shirts and red wing work boots. That's, that's Joseph as he walked down through the streets of Bethlehem when Jesus was born or Nazareth when Jesus was growing up. In fact, I, I found a, a scripture rather interesting. Many years in the future when the people were ripping Jesus because he didn't have a pedigree, they ripped him because of his commonness. And I want you to listen to how they talked about Jesus' family. They said, speaking of Jesus, we've known him since he was a kid. He's the carpenter's son. We know his mother, Mary. We know his brothers, James and Joe Jr. and Simon and Judas. But don't you find it interesting that they, didn't even, they don't even call Joseph's name? They're saying his family's unimportant, but with his family unimportant, they still mention Mary, call his brothers by name. But when it comes to Joseph, they just call him the carpenter. But as I said a few moments ago, that although the world might not look at Joseph as being important, in God's sight, he was extremely important. When God chose Mary to be the mother of Jesus, he did so for very important reasons, which we'll talk about in two weeks. But God chose Joseph for equally important reasons. And in, Joseph's, in, in God's mind, Joseph was very important. God wanted a special man, a man with a heart as soft as melted butter, but with a backbone of steel to oversee and to watch and to care for this young family. Our series is Gifts, and today, as I've said already, I want to talk to you about the gift of purpose. Each week in this series leading up to Christmas, we're going to look at the Christmas story, and we're going to see a gift that God has for every one of us. And today, it's purpose. And I want you to see how that God gave Joseph the gift of purpose. And in that process, you and I are going to learn a whole lot about the gift of purpose that God has for all of us. Let me start off by saying this. Purpose, most likely, is not going to show up the way that we think it's going to show up. God is going to bring purpose into our life by showing us opportunities. In fact, our quest for a purpose that makes sense may show up in an opportunity that doesn't seem to make any sense. I want you to see how this happened in the life of Joseph. This is in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. The Bible says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Now, in my notes, I have that through the Holy Spirit in a different color, because Joseph obviously does not know this yet. Put yourself back in the first century. You know, when we read the Christmas story, I think we get in the Christmas spirit, there are Christmas lights and Christmas decorations. You do know that when all this stuff came down, people didn't have lights on their houses. They weren't listening to Christmas music on Sirius. Um, this was just an ordinary time. And Joseph, at this point, is engaged to a wonderful young woman named Mary, the woman of his dreams. She is beautiful. She is good. She has a great reputation. She is the girl of Joseph's dreams. And just see him as, as he goes to work one day, going down to the shop, you know, thinking everything's great. I'm going to get married. I'm going to marry this wonderful girl. And you should also know that back in these days that an engagement was as binding as marriage. There was no sex before marriage, but for a person to be unfaithful during a time of betrothal was tantamount to adultery. I just tell you that for a reason. Because Mary, of course, is now pregnant with the Christ child. And can you see that moment? Can you envision that moment where Mary goes down to the shop and says to Joseph, Joseph, you and I need to talk. We need to go down to Starbucks. <laughs> and, 
and I, I don't know how Mary warmed up to that, but it's like, Joseph, I need to let you know something. I need to let you know I'm pregnant. Now, in Joseph's mind, there's only one way that this could happen, and that's bad. I mean, Mary must have been unfaithful to him. She must have slept with somebody else. Now, here's the point I want to get to, and this is the main thing that we need to think about right at this moment. What seemed to be a catastrophe in Joseph's life was really an opportunity that opened the door to Joseph's ultimate purpose. You know, we know that Joseph was a carpenter, or at least that's what he did for a living. But the first line of Joseph's Wikipedia page is not going to be that he fixed broken chairs. I mean, what Joseph, what makes Joseph famous, what made his life worth living was God had a purpose for him, and his purpose was to lead the holy family. But it all started with what seemed to be a devastating blow, which re in reality was an opportunity that opened the door to purpose. Is that going to be how it happens in your life, in my life? Uh, is it going to be that that purpose that we crave, that we so desperately want to make sense in our life, will begin with an opportunity that's laid at our doorstep that doesn't seem to make any sense at all? If you bought into what I've said so far, and maybe you haven't, but if you bought into this and it does begin to resonate with you, chances are right about now you've got a question in your mind, and your question is this. Mark, how will I recognize that opportunity when it comes? If the purpose that will ultimately make sense begins with an opportunity that doesn't seem to make any sense, how will I be able to sort it all out? How will I be able to know when that special opportunity comes? Here's the good news. You don't have to be that smart. You don't have to know. Because really, it takes God to know the answer to that question. Here's the important thing that we're going to learn from the life of Joseph. Seizing opportunities that ultimately lead to purpose is not a matter of you knowing which opportunity is the right opportunity. It is you internally being governed with the desire to always do the right thing. Notice I didn't say you always do the right thing. I said it's a desire within you to do the right thing. Now go back to that Starbucks encounter between Joseph and Mary when Mary has had to tell Joseph, I'm pregnant. Joseph at this moment has several choices. Given the culture and given the times, Joseph could have chosen to make life very hard on Mary. It was a male-oriented culture back in that day. And for a woman to show up pregnant when she was engaged to a guy, and Joseph's stature and Joseph's male ego being affected like that, Joseph could have dragged her down to the city square and in a public place where public betrothals are made, he could have dragged her back to the same place where the public announcement was made of their marriage. He could have dragged her down there and said, this woman cheated on me when we were engaged and I'm through with her. What you and I need to know is that would not have been the end of it because Mary would have been punished. What that punishment would have been, I don't know. It could have just been that she would have been censured, that it would have been a stigma, that she would have worn the scarlet letter for the rest of her life. Or it could have been that she would have been flogged or believe it or not, in that day, Mary could have been stoned to death. Imagine that, Mary stoned to death while she's carrying the Savior of the world. Starting to get a little idea of just how important Joseph is. 
Joseph doesn't know the purpose yet. He's still in that opportunity phase. He's dealing with an opportunity that makes no sense. What is it that governs Joseph at that moment? What governs him is a desire to do the right thing. Read this with me. Joseph chagrined, in other words, his heart was broken, but noble, determined to take care of things quietly so Mary would not be disgraced. I think you and I know that a lot of guys in Joseph's place wouldn't have reacted like that. They would have, they would have wanted to have dragged Mary down and embarrassed her. For one thing, they would have wanted revenge. She hurt me, I hurt her. She cheated on me, I'm going to see to it she gets what she has coming to her. Or even if, even if he wasn't motivated by revenge, he might have been motivated by a sense of protection of his own name or protection of his family's name. You do understand that when all this broke like we know it did in history, you, you do know after Joseph married Mary, you do know that God didn't write it in the sky for everybody to read. <laughs> the prevailing idea was that the carpenter got the girl pregnant. That was the stigma that Joseph would have to live with. That's the stigma his family would have to live with. And although that's sort of accepted in today's standards, certainly was not accepted in the first century. It was a stigma, a shame that Joseph would have carried the rest of his life. I'm just telling you, most guys in Joseph's place would have done the thing that would have embarrassed Mary. But, but what, what governed Joseph, even when he didn't understand purpose, his heart was motivated to do the right thing. Now, here's where I really wish I knew how to communicate, because if I did, I would show you something. I would show you that you and I don't have to be able to isolate and understand the opportunities that God leads in our path, leaves in our path that ultimately will lead to purpose. We don't have to know which ones they are. But what we do need is we need to have the heart to do the right thing, because if we have the heart to do the right thing with the opportunities that God places in our path, the next thing that will happen is that God will show up and God will begin to unfold purpose, which is exactly what happened in Joseph's case. Joseph didn't know what happened. He thought Mary had cheated on him, but he didn't want to hurt her. She hurt him, but he didn't want to hurt her. She maybe had ruined his life, but he didn't want to ruin her life. He wanted her to have a soft landing. He was thinking about this. How can I make things easy on Mary? And when he did that, God showed up. Listen to this. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son. And you are to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. I don't know if you see what I see when I read that. But that is God saying, Joseph, let me tell you why I made you. Let me tell you why you're on the planet. You are a chosen person. Everybody else called him the carpenter, but notice that God called him by name. God called him Joseph. And then beyond that, God didn't say Joseph carpenter. God said Joseph, son of David. In effect, he said, Joseph, you are part of the royal family. The way heaven looks at you, you are an important person. And then look at this. I love this. God said to Joseph, you will give him the name Jesus. Mary gave birth to the Messiah. But one day Joseph went down to the hall of records or to the temple or wherever it was done. And Joseph took a pen. And can you imagine he is the first one to write on the birth certificate of the Son of God. His name shall be called Jesus. Are you kidding me? 
Are you saying this guy doesn't have a purpose? Yes, he's got a purpose. But how did it start? It started with him having a heart to do the right thing, just a simple thing. Just saying, hey, I'm not going to destroy this woman's life. I'm going to be the, I'm going to do something kind. And God said, okay, Joseph, while you're thinking about this, let me tell you about purpose. I want to show you three things about the gift of purpose that God has for you. And I've already given you the first one. And that is this, God gives purpose to those whose hearts it is to do the right thing. I I didn't say you always do the right thing. We're not talking about a perfect person. We're not talking about a religious person. We're just talking about somebody who has a heart to do the right thing. That's, that's That's all you have to have. You don't have to be a genius. You don't have to be able to guess about all the opportunities in your life and what they mean. You just have to have a heart to do the right thing, a heart to love people, a heart to forgive, a heart that cares, a heart that serves, a heart that says, it's not all about me. Do you have that today? You don't have to have a PhD. You don't even have to be a graduate of college. You, you, you don't have to be a brilliant person. You don't have to be a person that plays all the angles or has insight into life. All you have to do is to be a person that says, it's my heart to do the right thing. The second thing is that God will give opportunity to those who seize the moment. What I want to show you now is I want to show you scriptures. And, and guys, I just want to show you a pattern here. We're going to read some here. What I want to show you is God continues to lay opportunity before Joseph. And he gives him specific instructions. What I want you to do with me is I want you to become a Bible student with me for just a moment. All right? Because I want you to notice how that God gives Joseph specific instructions. And the Holy Spirit never wastes words in the Bible. I want to show you how that when Joseph obeys... He obeys specifically just as God has given him specific instructions. God is going to show, he's going to, God is going to go out of his way to show us how that when he tells Joseph to do something, Joseph does specifically what God says. Let's read. Matthew 1.24. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took Mary as his wife, did not have sex with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. The angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary for your wife, call him Jesus. What do we read? He took Mary for, for his wife, called him Jesus. It's a pattern. Matthew 2, verse 13, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So what did he do? He got up, took the child and his mother during the night, left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. You, you can't miss that. It's so obvious. God gives him specific step-by-step instructions, and Joseph just obeys step-by-step-by-step. Matthew 2.19, when Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said, take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. So Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel with Jesus' mother. But when he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. Then, after being warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. There's a pattern in Joseph's life. God lays an opportunity in his his doorstep, and Joseph obeys. I think perhaps, I like to think it came out of his background with carpentry. Joseph knew how to read a blueprint. Joseph knew you don't freelance with a blueprint. And he didn't. He, He didn't challenge God. He didn't say, why? He didn't say, how do you want me to do this? It was just simply when God placed an opportunity in front of him, 
He embraced it. See, here's, and I want to talk to those of you who've been following Christ for a long time, because a lot of you have just accepted Christ, and you're like doing just like Joseph here. But I don't, and I almost wish you didn't know what I have to say. There are a lot of people in this room who've been following Jesus for a long time, and they've been in religion. And they have learned all kind of workarounds for following God. They have learned all kinds of too cute by half ways of ignoring God's instructions. And the thing that I love about Joseph is he doesn't do that. See, here's the thing. If you and I do that, if through our religious experiences, if we figured out all kinds of ways in which we can creatively disobey God, we can't hope to have purpose because God's gift of purpose is given to people that when he lays an opportunity in their path, they just embrace that opportunity. They're not waiting for some mystical purpose to show off show up show up in the distance they just simply embrace the the opportunity of the moment (laughs) this whole season it was a season of almost unbelievable things it was a season of miracles i think you know many of us when we think about the christmas season for us we we, we've heard about Christmas miracles, or we've heard about things that happen during this season. I don't know that I can speak to that, but I know that the first season of Christmas was a season of miracles. Jesus was born, but months before Jesus was born, John the Baptist was born. It was God's plan, God's purpose, that there be a harbinger or someone who would announce the coming of Jesus. And that person was, was we call him John the Baptist and John the Baptizer. I don't know if you know this or not. This is a great story to read. If you you get time today and you want to just read something in the Bible for fun, uh, you ought to read the story of the birth of John the Baptist because John's mother was the cousin of Mary. She was an elderly woman. Her name was Elizabeth. She was married to a priest whose name was Zechariah. And they were really up in years, and they hadn't been able to have any children, long since given up on it. And Zechariah happened to be his, it was an honor for him, it was a a lifelong honor for him to go to the temple and to burn incense. It happened to be his turn. So you got to understand, here's this guy who goes to the temple, he's probably in his late 70s. I don't know how many, we're a fairly young church, but we probably have some people here in our 70s or 80s. And uh, it would be a surprise to you if you uh, found out you were going to have a baby, right? So Zechariah goes to the temple to burn incense, and while he's there, an angel shows up and says, Zechariah, you're going to have a, you and your wife Elizabeth, you're going to have a baby. And Zechariah said, are you kidding me? I mean, that's not in the Bible, but I mean, that's basically what he said. (laughs) So Zechariah said, creatively, you know, he says, Zechariah said, give me a sign. And the angel said, fine, you won't be able to talk for nine months. (laughs) That's pretty rough on a minister, let me tell you. (laughs) And even noble Mary, when the, when the angel came to her to tell her that she was going to have a baby, Mary said, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. And we don't blame her for that. And I really don't blame Zechariah for asking for a sign. If you're 80 years old and the angel says you're going to have a baby, it's like, well, I'd really like to have a sign. I don't blame either one of those guys. They did what you and I would do. All I want you to notice by contradistinction is that when God comes to Joseph and tells Joseph to do something, he doesn't ask for a sign. He doesn't say, how is this going to happen? How do you want me to do this? How am I going to pay for this? Joseph doesn't do any of those things. When God comes to him, lays an opportunity at his doorstep, he seizes the moment. 
Well, this is ground zero of today's message. I think most people, from years of pastoring and years of talking to people, and having had many people ask me, what is my purpose in life? I think many, if not most, people in life have a very serious misconception. It is our tendency to say, what is my purpose? Hoping that when we understand what our purpose is, opportunities will flow out of that purpose. I want to know what I'm here for. God, tell me why I'm here. And if God would say, okay, Mark, this is your grand scheme in life, the reason why I'm driven to know that is I would feel that out of that purpose will flow opportunities to live my life. And what we're learning today is that that is exactly backward. Because chances are, purpose is something that will tend to be retrospective in life. That in your life, in my life, God will bring a series of opportunities to follow him. And if we embrace those opportunities, out of those opportunities will come a defined purpose. I've always said it this way. I've said, I'm much better at seeing God out my rearview mirror than I am out my windshield. And you know what I mean by that. When I look back in my life, I can see God's fingerprints all over my life. But at the moment, I didn't always see God at work. There were times that I thought it was a catastrophe. There were times when I thought what was happening in my life meant my life was over. But I look back on it, and I seize those opportunities at the moment that God placed in front of me. And now as I look back, I'm thinking, wow, God was all over that. Do you, is there anybody else here who feels that, who's had that experience in life? It's because opportunities don't flow out of purpose. Purpose flows out of opportunities. And to me, one of the sad things that I've watched in life is, and, and I'm thinking about pastors that I've dealt with through the years, but it's broader than that. I can't tell you how many people I have seen in life walk away from opportunities in search of some sort of mystical purpose. I've seen people walk away from great jobs. I've seen people walk away from great marriages. I've seen people walk away from wonderful situations in life. Why? Because they tended to be bored. See, here's the thing. Purpose is not always sexy. Purpose is not always some grand mystical thing. Sometimes purpose has a very mundane aspect to it. Sometimes purpose is going to be performing the same task day after day after day after day. I love that about Joseph. He didn't ask God to give him some sort of extraordinary mystical assignment in life. It was just that when God placed an opportunity in his path, he just said, yes. Number three, God gives purpose to those who are willing to see things from his perspective. Let's play with a couple of statements for just a moment, okay? Help me, please. I want to make two statements, and I want you to see what you think about them. Here's statement number one. Joseph was a carpenter. Statement number two. Joseph was God's man. See, I think most of us, if we were talking about Joseph, if someone said, tell me about Joseph, the man who led the Holy Family, we would say, well, Joseph was a carpenter. But here's the thing I want you to see. See, that's the way the world looked at Joseph. It wasn't the way heaven looked at Joseph. 
Joseph was not a carpenter. Joseph was God's man. God's man. Carpentry was something Joseph did. We make a great mistake when we feel like we are what we do for a living. You know, it's a wonderful thing to make a living. And see, this is one of the issues that we have when the economy tanks and, and, and sometimes people lose our jobs because many of us, we lose our sense of identity if our job goes away, if our job changes. But see, we're here, if you are a Christ follower, you're here on assignment for his majesty. That is who you are. How you make a living, how you pay the bills is what you do. It is not what you are. What you are is God's man. What you are is God's woman on assignment. The thing about it is, you can choose not to be God's man or God's woman, and you can choose to focus on what it is that you do for a living and say that that's what you are, but you won't be living the way you were designed to live. I was thinking about this this week. I was on an airplane, a little offline this week. And you know what it is, how it is? You always hear the flight attendant make the speech, the obligatory speech at the beginning of the flight. I can't tell you how many flights I've been flying across the middle of the country. You know, Wichita to Minneapolis, Wichita to St. Louis. Flight attendant, she stands there, or he stands there and says that your seat can be used as a flotation device. The first question I want to know is, where is it going to float? I mean, pilot's going to have to be a great shot to hit that farmer's stock pond. Now, here's the thing. Do I think the seat cushion, I've never floated in one, thankfully, but do I think the seat cushion would float? Yes, it would. Let me ask you a question. Let's just say it's July 4th and you're going out to El Dorado Lake and you want to just go out and have some fun in the lake. You're going to call the airline and say, hey, we need some airplane seats to float around in. You say, of course not, Mark. It's not what, it was not designed to be a flotation device. It was designed to be an airplane seat, a very hard, uncomfortable seat. <laughs> and you're right. It will float, but that's not what it was designed for. See, I think a lot of us are like, we're living our lives floating in an airplane seat. It's not what we were, we're, we don't understand that there's a difference, a great distinction between what we do and what we were designed to be. I mean, think with me for a moment. Think about Joseph. I mean, here he is now, and he's got this newborn baby, and God is saying, look, I need you to get out of here and go to Egypt and, and just stay there. And Joseph could say, well, now, wait a minute, Lord, I got a business to run. I'm a carpenter. God, you don't understand. I can't just drop everything and go to Egypt. That's how some of us would react to God. Why? Because we are what we do. We've long since lost sight of the fact that if, if we're Christ followers, you're God's man, you're God's woman, you're on assignment for the king. Man, I love the fact that Joseph was so willing to see himself from heaven's perspective. Am I? Are you? Well, we know the answer by the, uh, that's real simple to measure. It's not complex. It's real simple. Are we accepting the assignments, the opportunities that God is putting in our path? Well, that's the story. Sort of interesting about Joseph. We never see him after Jesus' 12th birthday. 
far as we know, he never got to see Jesus preach a message. He never got to see Jesus perform a miracle. I think he did get to do some pretty cool things. I mean, think about this for a moment. He, he got to wrap the tiny fingers of Jesus around a hammer for the first time and show him how to use a hammer. Can, can you imagine the irony of Joseph getting to watch the creator of the universe build his first table? But we never see Jesus, Joseph in Jesus' earthly ministry, and most Bible scholars think there's a reason for that. In John chapter 11, the Bible tells us that Jesus cried at the funeral of a friend, Lazarus. But my guess is that's not the first funeral he cried at. Sometime before Jesus' 30th birthday, he had to plan a funeral. He had to plan a funeral for the man who was not his biological father, but for this noble man who had led the Holy Family. My imagination runs away with me. I can imagine Jesus being the eldest in the family. The responsibilities fell on him, not only to make the arrangements, but I sort of see him at the funeral with one arm around his mother Mary and another arm around his young sisters and his brothers trying to comfort them. And I'll bet it fell his responsibility to say something at the funeral. What did Jesus say at his dad's funeral? I don't know, but I know Jesus pretty well, and I can make a guess. In my mind, I see him stand there at the casket with one arm around Mary and one arm around his brothers and sisters, and I see Jesus look into the face of the man who taught him carpentry, and I hear him say, you know, Dad really lived. How about you? Are you really living? God wants to give you purpose. And he won't tell you what that purpose is. He'll just lay opportunities at your door. And some of those opportunities will look like catastrophes and they won't make any sense. But if your heart is to do the right thing, you'll just simply obey God. And if you're willing to see things from the perspective of eternity and not the way this world looks at things, you know, you can really live. And this world may not know your name any more than it knew Joseph. It may just call you ordinary. But in God's mind, you'll be a rock star. You know, he is called the rock. He's called the rock of our salvation, a rock in our fortress. How about being a star for the rock? That's what he wants. And it's a gift for anyone who will accept it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what we've learned today. And I pray that we won't finish out our time without really living. Father, many of us, there are opportunities, there are things that you've taught us to do and we know them but we've got workarounds and and we we think we're working around your instructions and what we don't realize is that we're working around our very purpose we're detouring help us i pray in jesus name let me keep talking for a moment would you pray with me it could be that you're here today and you're saying mark i don't even have a relationship with god 
Well, let me, let me just let you know that that's something God wants so much. Think about this. God wants you to have an eternal relationship with him so much that he put his son on the cross and punished Jesus in your place so that you wouldn't have to be punished for your sin. You know how Joseph felt about Mary? That he didn't want her to suffer for what he thought she had done wrong? Well, you and I are not like Mary. We have done wrong. Many things in our life that are wrong. But God loves you so much, he doesn't want you to suffer for your sin. He punished Jesus so that the legal and just price could be paid. And if you would ask him to forgive you, that Jesus will come into your life forgive you of all your sins and give you a relationship that cannot be broken. Would you be willing to accept that gift? You say, well, Mark, there's a lot I don't understand about it. Hey, I, I accepted Christ when I was eight and there's a lot I still don't understand. But I do take God in his word. So if you're ready for that, I'm gonna ask you to pray with me, please. And these aren't magic words. These are words that just call out in hope and faith to Christ. Dear Jesus, I know I've done wrong but I believe you love me unconditionally. I believe you went to the cross to pay for my sins. Today, I yield my life to you. Give me a purpose and a reason for living. In Jesus' name I pray.